you you are well in my case you are mom to everything and it is making sure your costs are where they're supposed to be making sure there's a menu that people are going to actually want to eat the adventurous eaters the not so adventurous eaters making sure that I mean, it is, it's a lot of babysitting, making sure everybody's happy in their role that they're working. Cause you don't, you know, you don't want your staff to be unhappy. <laughs> what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. My name is Samantha Allen. I am the owner and executive pastry chef for Wentworth & Finn, a local bakery here in Charlotte. And I'm originally from Texas, but I've been here a really long time, so... (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. So what got you started in the whole industry and kind of the career path that you took? I either wanted to be an artist, like painting artist or a baker. And I figured if I could incorporate both of them and if push came to shove and I became a starving artist, I could eat what I made. So, <laughs> <laughs> And kind of the cakes kind of reflect that a little bit. So at least at least I actually got the art into the pastries. So Hey, that's a pretty good way to think about it. I don't think I thought about it. It'd be hard to eat a canvas. So, uh, you yeah. know, cake does the job there. Awesome. Yeah. So, so then what's the process like to to getting to where you are, where you have your own um, store and you're creating all of your own recipes? So I started out way back when, when I was 15, I volunteered first to just get my foot into a bakery. And then from there, I kind of snowballed a little bit through Charlotte, went to Johnson & Wales, tried to educate myself between school and just working in the industry. And then I ended up landing the gig as as executive pastry chef at the Fig Tree Restaurant. And I was there for almost five years. And there was just a point where I was like, okay, like I can't really go anywhere else, but I'm hitting my head on the ceiling here. What am I going to do? And I was like, well, I could open my own thing. But then I quickly realized how expensive it is to open your own thing. And so I guess I'm classified as a bootstrap business. There are no investors. It was everything just out of pocket. Originally wanted to open up a bakery and wine shop. But again, that's way more expensive than you realize it is. So kind of regrouping and scaling back. Um, big fan of everything like 40s, 50s, and 60s. So found a Shasta camper that was completely trashed in some guy's backyard and <laughs> bought it and then ended up flipping it into what everybody knows as Selma. I got approved in my house through the Department of Agriculture to bake. And so started out super small at, in my home kitchen and then progressively I ended up getting a commercial kitchen at Gibson Mill in Concord. And then by the time I only had a year lease on that kitchen and by the time that was done. All of the clients and customers were in Charlotte anyway, so it just made sense to move down here. And there was a space for storefront, but it wasn't originally intended to be a storefront, but then COVID happened. And pardon me, I was just like, fuck it, we're getting a storefront. (laughs) It's going to happen. Everybody wants it. So now we have the storefront and Selma. It's 
been incredibly difficult trying to navigate like where to put money and making the money and making sure because as of now we have four employees three storefront people and then my assistant and they absolutely come first so making sure that everything income is coming in to make sure they get paid is incredibly important so how's that adjustment been from kind of well you also didn't think you were gonna like have the storefront and like having all of these changes kind of coming about sort of unexpectedly and you know, learning how to handle those. Were you prepared to run your own shop? And okay, so if not, then how'd you kind of learn the ropes of doing it? When I decided to pull the trigger on the storefront, essentially I had just emulated what what I was doing on the camper, but it would just be completely stationary. So at least the food cost and stuff that was already down and what menus were, that that part was already finished and easy. It essentially was just how to get the aesthetic of what Wentworth and Ben looked like into a space and not on a camper, but it, it came together nicely. And then just, I don't think anyone knew what to expect with COVID and we're just riding the wave still riding the way. Don't really know what's going to happen. Hopefully everybody stays very true to supporting local. I think that's really important. I know everybody, we all love our Target and our Starbucks and, and all of that, but if people could really, really love the small businesses, especially right now, that would help so much. <laughs> <laughs> and where does most of your, does your business come from like wedding cakes and bigger venue types of cakes, or is it people just, you know, foot traffic coming in to, to the shop? So it, we have a bunch of different avenues at the bakery. So of course the storefront, and then we have the custom orders, which are custom cakes, custom pastry orders, the wedding cakes. And then with Van Gogh being at Camp North and that has increased foot traffic incredibly. So we've definitely seen a jump in our sales percentage from that, which is really nice. And then whenever we do have the chance to get the camper out, we'll, you know, we'll try to go to the breweries or any pop-up events. And then we also have wholesale orders too. So we kind of have different streams of income coming in, which is nice, but it just depends on the day too. Cause sometimes naturally, so the weather is not great or it's too cold or too hot. No one wants to walk around. So that's a given, but for the most part, but traffic's really good with the Van Gogh exhibit there. So hopefully more people will know what Camp North End is and not just Wentworth and Fen, but support all the other local businesses that are there. When you say Van Gogh, are you still, are you talking about the, is the art installation? Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that was still here. They, I think they extended it till okay. November, I believe. So if, if you haven't gotten a ticket, it's, it's a really cool experience. Just something different to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll have to go check it out. I know we're going, they have a free concert this weekend and it's actually someone who's like pretty popular. I think their name's um, Sammy Ray and friends. It's on Friday. At Camp North End? Yeah. Well, shit. <laughs> I just live in the bakery, so I never, I've unfortunately never gotten to walk around on a Friday night at, at camp, so I need to. <laughs> well, there you go. Might be an excuse to, to do that. I want to go back kind of, well, kind of, just to understand a little bit more about, so on your bio, you know, it says you're an executive pastry chef. So if you could kind of dive in a little bit more about what that title actually means when you have that. You, you are, well, in my case, you are mom to everything. And it is making sure your costs are where they're supposed to be, making sure there's a menu that people are going to actually want to eat, the adventurous eaters, the not so adventurous eaters, making sure that 
I mean, it is, it's a lot of babysitting, making sure everybody's happy in their role that they're working. Cause you don't, you know, you don't want your staff to be unhappy and same, same like it was at the fig tree and Wentworth and Finn. It's just, it's a lot of directing and making sure things are where they need to be, keeping people on track and make sure, making sure time management is of the essence because timing is everything. And I'm sure I can speak for our other executive pastry chefs and other just regular executive chefs were probably in like three different head spaces at once. So we're over there, but yeah, we're over here. And then we're over there trying to like make sure all these things are, are rolling the proper way. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I think, I think it's fun. That kind of stress I thrive on. Maybe other people don't so much. <laughs> a, lot of, it's a lot of, Hey Sam, Hey Sam, Hey Sam all day long. <laughs> Just constant uh, nagging in the ear and assistance. So I guess it's good and bad depending on what it is. I don't have kids. So everybody, I call everybody at the bakery, my kids, and I'm mom. So here we are. Works out then. (laughs) (laughs) And is there a a typical trajectory for people? So you went to Johnston and Wales, and then you're also working in restaurants and and stuff on the side. So like, is there a typical like timeline for when you'll get to be an executive pastry chef? And no, it varies. No, I think I, I can't speak from other graduating classes, but I have kept up with a few of the other students that I went to school with. And I would say half of them aren't, aren't even in the industry anymore. Everybody got out, which it's understandable because it is a hard industry to bear and things. I think people in my age bracket came at a time where it was still in between the chefs that yell at you and throw it, things at you to where a lot of things now are a lot more calm in a kitchen. And back then, it people just didn't want to work to and deal with all of that, so they got out. I would say now maybe eight to ten years to get to a proper executive role. I know some people who get into it fairly quickly and they're just not ready. They don't have the proper management technique and style to handle all the stuff that's thrown at you. Cause I mean, it is a lot of different handling different personality traits in the kitchen. Cause you can't treat your line cook and your, you know, dishwasher with the same aesthetic. Like everybody has a different personality and you have to work with each person individually to make sure that they're happy. So. How did you learn to, to, to become better good at that? When I I was the assistant pastry chef at UNCC at one point before my time at uh, Fig Tree, and that's a Compass Group uh, division. It was under Chartwells, and they actually sent certain ones of us to management classes, which was actually pretty cool and very handy because there was a lot of stuff that I did not know (laughs) and a lot of things that I was like, oh, okay, like how to de-escalate situations and you know, just handle different people and, and all of that kind of stuff. So that actually came in more handy than I thought. And if it were up to me, I would tell more people to take classes like that because things are going to happen that you just don't realize and you can't talk to everybody the same way because it just doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah. What's What was like the biggest learning experience or moment throughout your time working in the kitchen? It could be like any sort of story, but like a moment where you just like were like, and had to like figure out how to like find a solution for that problem or that instance. 
it's not a it doesn't shine a good light on me but that's okay i'll i'll bear one for the for the people <laughs> um, i don't i would not say i'm i'm a yeller as a chef but especially during service it's really hectic and there's a lot of moving parts and there's tickets coming up everywhere and if you're not paying attention and you're not focused things can get messed up and especially in fine dining there's not a lot of room for mess up there shouldn't be and there was an evening in particular where there was someone who was still fairly new, but he had been there long enough to know what he was doing. And he was panicking and drowning during service. And I was trying to get stuff done. And he came back to the pastry area and was like, Sam, Sam, I don't know. And I just got incredibly frustrated mm -hmm. and I threw an entire dish of anglaise up against a wall and I don't have to get out of it. It was not a proud moment for me. I did apologize afterwards because I think I made him cry. And, and I realized I was like, okay, we need to like reel it back, Sam. Can't got it. Got to keep it cool. Got to, got to be nice to everybody <laughs> all the time, even when even when we're, we're stressed and me and him had a very lovely chat afterwards and we're good, but we're good <laughs> at that moment I was like, oh. but you know, well, you gotta I mean, always, yeah. always gotta learn. <laughs> both, both sides of the party there have to learn. And eventually yeah. somebody probably was going to yell at him and maybe that made him better at his job. Hey, I yeah. hope so. And if, uh, if not, he'll, he'll always think of me when he sees Anglaise, you know? Yeah. <laughs> a story prompted. So where do you get your inspiration for, for what you're creating? Is it like family recipes? Is it you see something on the street and it looks interesting and you want to kind of recreate it? What's the, what's the story behind it? I pull from a lot of different avenues. Of course, seasonal things. A lot of people like the familiar, which, which is fine because, hey, who doesn't? But for the more adventurous eaters, it's cool to really incorporate, in my opinion, the savory seasonal things into the pastries. So I find inspiration through that. And then sometimes... I'll just sit and listen to music and my brain just like wanders off into pastry land and I'll start, I'll get an idea and I'm always, I'm, I always have paper, little pencils and notebooks everywhere. And I'm just like, Oh, I have to write this down. I'm going to, this is great. And then naturally to like going out and adventuring around to different restaurants and just being inspired by different chefs and again, trying to better myself because you can't stop learning. So always trying to cultivate where I get inspired from. So music, seasonal things, time, like Halloween's my favorite. So the bakery is like super decked out during Halloween. <laughs> You'll probably get the most creative desserts then. So, <laughs> you know. And then when you have that idea, what's the process like for actually implementing that and, and making it into something edible? Fine tuning it because sometimes when and not just me, even my assistant Yusuf, because I put him in charge of a special each week. It's making sure it can be executed and at a proper cost point, just because we can't, I mean, which sometimes we can just make whatever, but there's the steps of where we have to break down of, okay, well, what's in this pastry? How much is it going to cost? How much can we sell it for? Is it going to be able to be executed in a timely manner? You know, is, is this something that's even going to sell? Because one or two people might like it, but then other people will be like, no, I don't really know about that. So is it going to even be worth our time? So all of those variables go into just making one pastry. And then from there, 
like the other week we had to dial down a certain bread we were making because it was just the concept of it was great. But when we executed it, it just kept proofing and proofing and then it exploded into this giant loaf of bread. And <laughs> we had to, we had to, we had to reel that back and, and go back and fix a couple of things, but then we finally got it. So there's, there's a lot more than, than I think people realize that go into making just one pastry. How do you gauge what's going to sell if it's something completely new? Hoping for the best and hoping that there are some adventurous eaters like currently and until the apocalypse happens, we will forever have the bourbon butter oatmeal cream pie and the traditional chocolate chunk cookie on, on the pastry cart forever. <laughs> and people love it. And it's great. And there will be times like I just put on what's called the firecracker brownie. And so it's a fudge brownie with a layer of dark chocolate ganache and then habanero infused sugar on top. And so some people see habanero and they're like, no way, lady, not eating that. Mm -hmm. And then other times people are like, oh my gosh, that's so great. I just want to try like four of them. And I'm like, great, four for you. <laughs> so it just depends on the people. Um, I think the weekend brings more adventurous people because people are just, you know, out and about and Camp North End's fun. It's, you know, spaced out and walkable and you don't have, you can park in one spot and actually like walk around to multiple places, which in Charlotte is hard to do nowadays. So I think we get more of our adventurous people on the weekends. What's the craziest thing that you've made and sold and people have enjoyed? Hmm. Maybe not crazy, but something that you thought you were a little iffy on before you put it out and actually was like kind of a hit. I know people like macarons, like people go crazy over them and I was and and we were making just the normal like a little larger than a quarter size ones standard size I guess and then I was like you know what why not give people a giant one so now we make borderline like like almost a four inch macaron wow. and and people have taken to them which I was kind of shocked because at first I was like are people gonna pay this much because almond flour is like crazy expensive and and now becoming hard to get so I wasn't sure if people would even pay for it but so far so good so all right all right yeah. well that's pretty cool is the flower <laughs> hard to get because it's from like california and the nuts are expensive gotcha and the almond flour is if people wonder why anything with nuts not just macarons but anything with nuts is incredibly expensive the one box of almond i think it's a five pound box of almond flour it's over fifty dollars right now so Jeez. Yeah. yeah, it's painful. <laughs> that is a steep fee. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah so wow. enjoy those macaron people because <laughs> they are expensive, but worth it. But worth it, yep. needless to say. Okay. All right. What's your kind of goal moving forward with the store? Like, do you have like an end vision of what you want to create? Or currently, what you have is like, is that the dream is to have the shop and to have Selma and to go out to, to restaurants and stuff? So, still cultivating what we're doing now, fine tuning more and getting more people out to the bakery just so they know that it's there. Because I think Wentworth and Ben is a little bit different in the regard that it's not pink and sprinkles and when you walk in it's very handsome it's really dark the walls are dark green there's a lot of gold everywhere and so once people come in they're like oh wow this place is so cute and I didn't even know this was here and so if we could get more people out to Camp North End and just realize where we are because it's truly like 
you could walk to Uptown from it. So it's not far from any. If we could get people to realize that it's there, that would be great. But still cultivating, I'm a very firm believer in quality over quantity. So if we can stay tiny but mighty and keep just baking really great pastries for people and keep it small, I'm happy with that. Definitely want to keep Selma out at events and breweries and pop-ups and all of that. But eventually, because... Wentworth and Fenn is a Charleston-inspired name. I would love to have another bakery down there and then just come back and forth between both cities. So where's the name come from that's a specific reference to Charleston? So I was down in Charleston, and I was still trying to figure out a name for the bakery, and I really, really did not want, like, Sam's Sprinkles or <laughs> Sam's Sweets because I just, I, I hate for me personally, that does not jive. And so I was walking in between King and Market and Wentworth Street connects them. And I remember looking up and I was like, oh, that's a really handsome name. I really like that. And I didn't think of anything else of it. And then there's also an abandoned naval base down there, which the Preservation Society has now like come in and like vamped up all of the old plantation houses and stuff out there, which is super beautiful. But there was a Finn Street and it was F-I-N-N. And I just kind of stood there and I had like a like Jesus moment. And I was like, oh my God, we could switch the E's and have Wentworth and Finn and it'll be super great. And then, which is great. I love the name of the bakery, but it kind of sounds like a law firm. <laughs> or like, or they're like, we're going to sell you car insurance or something. So here we are. That's okay. <laughs> but it's tied to Charleston. So it works for me. Okay. I, that's very unique and yeah. cool. I think, yeah, I wouldn't initially, I think I was a little caught off guard with the name, but it kind of reminds me of like a really fancy, like dining, you know, upscale yeah. restaurant. So kind of, I yeah. guess goes hand yeah. in and hand, I, sort of. I wanted something that sounded a little more like classic and, and, and I don't want to say posh, but I think handsome would be the right word. Okay. Very unique. Very cool. Another question you had, you had said, you know, you didn't have any investors when you started the, the restaurant. Like, why did you choose to go that avenue versus having, versus, you know, potentially having investors? There, the pos I, I had never interacted with anyone to have, like, get to the point of having an investor and, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to because I know especially with a baker you got to bake a lot of pastries to pay someone back or bake a lot of pastries to split for what and so I wasn't sure if I wanted to and then I was approached by somebody who wanted to invest and collective they were friends and collectively getting to know them better I was just like this is probably not the best outcome for either of us we just have two different visions and i think that that will clash like once this is actually active in business and though it's taken almost five years to get to this point which that's fine at least there's no one else in the picture and you know half of the sales aren't going to someone who just happened to give money in and doesn't have as much like care about the company as i do um, so I'm fine with it. I, I mean, of course, I wish it could have taken off and been bigger sooner, but everything happens for a reason. And, and I'm really happy with how the bakery looks now and, and the name that we're making for ourselves. And, and also, like, again, you're only as good as the team you have behind you. And 
I think timing is everything. So I found all of my people at the right time, I think, because it just flows very nicely and, and they're great. So what was the moment that you felt like, you know, this was it, this was what you're supposed to do, opening up the shop and, and you know, no, haven't reached that yet? No, I don't regret it now. When people say you'll you'll never regret doing it or like like jumping and, and doing it, I'm glad that I did it, but I was never ready. I was terrified. I was like, oh God, what if I fail? Oh God, what if I don't make it? But I mean, tale as old as time, like everybody else says, if you if you don't do it, you'll never know, but you're not going to regret it if you do. And, and still like, if I end up failing, then I'll just go back to being an executive pastry chef, you know? So yeah. at least I did it. Yeah. <laughs> at least I tried. <laughs> it's not the worst of things that could happen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Things, things could be a lot worse and knock on wood, we're doing all right. So we'll be around cool. for a while. All right. What are two pros and two cons to what you do? Two pros and two cons is I'm the boss and I make my own schedule. And those are also the cons. It's really hard. To, <laughs> it's great being the boss. And I like, it's fun to be in control and like schedule everything and do all the stuff, um, making all the wheels turn. But it's also hard to, I mean, we're all human. Sometimes it's hard to stay motivated. Sometimes it's hard because right now I, I technically work seven days a week. But on Mondays, I try to stay away from the bakery. Like I'll do paperwork and all of that. And we're closed Mondays and Tuesdays, but I still sit and work on all the stuff I can't catch up on. And it's hard when people who may not necessarily know everything that goes into your day, they're like, you're the boss. You can do what you want. It's fine. And you're like, yeah, that comes with a lot. I can't just not be here. Can't just not help my team. Can't just not show up and be present. <laughs> So that, that sometimes is a little tough and constantly being on. And if you're having a bad day, you can't let your team see that because attitude reflects leadership heavily, in my opinion. And it's, it's a lot sometimes being the, you know, top of the tier, but again, that I wouldn't trade for anything because it's, it's my, my baby, I guess. So if I'm not there to cultivate it again, then why am I doing it? So yeah. Thank you. Those are awesome points. So, you know, it goes both ways. If you want it, if you want something, then, you know, you got to deal with the repercussions and kind of the, that negative side, I guess, is what it kind of caters to on that. So a uh, question I said at the beginning, <laughs> I think you, you got a little squeamish at, but if you had a book written about you, what would the title of the book be? Where did I put that? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I set stuff down constantly Case in point, I had yoga earlier today and I set my glasses down, the ones I'm currently wearing, and I couldn't find them. Almost drove 30 minutes away to go pick up glasses because I can't find them, but they were on my face the entire time. At the bakery, we're we're organized and we have our our list and our sheets and stuff, but I'll I'll walk around sometimes and I just look at stuff and I'm like, where did I put this? Where did I put that? And I'll look at Yusuf, my assistant, and I'm like, where did I set this? And he's like, Sam, why are, why are you like this? I don't. And it's just me constantly like walking around <laughs> looking for stuff that I set down. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll get better at it. <laughs> it's a little scavenger hunt for yourself. It is. Just, you yeah. know. Pieces of fun. paper. I've had, I feel yeah. like what's Meryl Streep on Devil Wears Prada? I'm like, where's that piece of paper I put two weeks ago? <laughs> 
anyone? And they're just like, Pam, why are you like this? I'm like, I don't know. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> oh man, that's probably entertaining, but also very frustrating at the same time. <laughs> sure. No, they yeah. put up with me. I'm very, I'm very blessed to have a good staff. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. All right. Three mm -hmm. final questions for you. The okay. first of which is if you had 24 hours left to live, unlimited money, you could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers with whoever you wanted. What would you do? I, every chef in Charlotte and every bartender in Charlotte, all of us get to go to Italy and shut it down. Shut there it, we down. Go. Shut it <laughs> down. All right. All, all right. the good wine, all the good food. And everybody knows everybody here because Charlotte's still small and everybody actually gets along really well. And I, most of the chefs and pastry chefs are all best friends anyway, because that's all we know. And all the bartenders are friends with each other too. And because we all cross each other, everybody's friends. So one big party in Italy, let's go. <laughs> I love it. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's Here a good way fun. to go. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Next one is with Sam at 8, 10, 12, whatever age you want to kind of pick around that. Would she be happy with where you are now and what you're doing? At all three ages, this is what I wanted to do. I never thought I would own a bakery. I definitely wanted to be the boss somewhere or like executive pastry chef somewhere. I think owning my own business, though, is a plus. So 8, 10, or 12, Sam would be really pleased right now, even though. A little crazy, but that's fun. <laughs> a little crazy. <laughs> a little crazy, but it's okay. You gotta beat a dude, I think. So. Yeah. Uh, fits the fits the title. The last one is what do you want to accomplish either personally, professionally, and or both in the next six to twelve months? I would like to grow the business more efficiently for my staff to also feel like they're growing the business too. I don't want them to feel like it's just me cultivating it. I want them to feel like it's theirs as well because we all put in a lot of time and effort into how we do stuff. I would love to do some different things. It's pretty typical for, you know, oh, it's a bakery. You walk in, you get pastries, but I would love to, there's a couple ideas I have to honor some chefs in Charlotte, to do more plated desserts with the bakery. So it's not just a walk in and grab a pastry type place. And I'm doing like doing good is also really big in my book. So if we could do more charities and, and things to help out the community, whether it be for breast cancer awareness or the heart association or just charities that are completely local to Charlotte, I would love for us to be able to give back more that way as well. And I think with that comes personal growth for all of us at the bakery. So I would like for all of us to kind of grow together and, and cultivate something really special. My two takeaways from my conversation with Sam are learning how to deal with other people in high stress environments is key, especially when your own personal stress level is going to be through the roof. You're trying to manage things. How do you help others and kind of take a step back and breathe. The second is learning how to manage multiple personalities. Just being a manager in general and knowing how other people work best, how to speak to them and how to engage in a way that they'll take away something from what you've just said. 
is super important.